the economic bonanza Australia is denying itself, and Mini-Me Morrison and his Dr Evil coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 19th of October 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Lisa. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, the Belt and Road Forum taking place in Beijing right now, which you probably haven't heard about from the media, but you're going to hear some interesting news about it today. Uh, And then we're going to talk about Morrison again. We've had a theme going, talking about... Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison for the last few weeks. Third time's a charm, but we're going to nail this guy because he is not acting in Australia's interest and we're going to um, identify how he's just parroting mm. a pretty evil operator on the world stage at the moment. We need to kick him out of the parliament. Mm, absolutely. Now, don't forget to share this program as widely as you can. Subscribe if you haven't already and engage with the comments below. Hit the like button. That all helps get the word around. And you can also hit the donate button and contribute to the campaigns that we're running, um, which are always requiring extra energy and resources, and particularly your engagement personally and politically. So we'll talk a bit more. Uh, in, in fact, before we start our first update, uh, do you have a bit of an update on e- of our campaigns? Um, yes, Elisa. So last week we t- recommended people make a submission to this Treasury consultation on the law to regulate digital payments, and so we want to re- reiterate that. Um, there's three weeks or so to, no, sorry, two weeks now to make a submission. So the link will be below. It's just an email. Send an email saying, essentially, say whatever you want to say, but what we're encouraging people to say is, whatever the government does on digital payments as part of the payment system, fine, but they must protect cash. And that means... They must stop the banks from doing away with cash because even though the banks claim they're not, they are. They're taking away the access to cash, Mm. right? And it's up to the government to intervene and say, no, you are not going to do that. Um, So demand it. Let's swamp this Treasury consultation with with those sort of emails. So if you haven't done one yet, drop everything and do it Um, or wait till the end of the show and then drop everything and do it. So that's that's one thing. Um, Second is in terms of the, the campaign against bank branch closures. There is another hearing coming up in Canberra on the 1st of December, which I'll be up there for. Um, I don't know yet if, if um, I'll be testifying, but um, uh, there's definitely going to be a hearing, and the hearings are always great. Um, and the last Canberra one was, was you know, a lot of fireworks mm. there, right? So we're looking forward to that. Um, and then the after the next round of hearings won't be until February next year. Um, but please be alert. And keep the, the Citizens Party does benefit from people reporting to us things like local announcements that banks are going to close and, and those sort of things, right? So anything you think we should know about in this area, always email us or, or call the 1-800 number. Or if you talk to someone in the office here regularly, keep us updated on those things because we make sure the politicians hear about that, mm. right? So that's incredibly important. Of course, all this is in aid of getting people to understand why we need a public bank, mm. We need a solution, an economic solution in this country. You know, I'll just, um, I'll give you one example. There's, there's uh, uh, you know, the housing issue is a crisis, and you and I know that. <laughs> We're in the market. 
Um, it's a, there's a terrible housing crisis in Australia. And what everything the governments do, do, do of every both stripes is is tweak the settings so the market will solve the crisis. Well, the last lot of statistics have come out, and even though you have these incredibly unaffordable house prices, etc., which is a signal to the market to build more housing, the actual construction of housing is at its lowest level for ages, right? And that's what happens when you leave it to the market. We're talking about bringing back a national bank so governments can have a tool with which to do things again. And do, by do things, I mean make investments, mm. right? And it'll provide banking services for every community as well. Um, finally, there is a new petition we'll link to below. This relates to the question of China. Please read it. It's a parliamentary petition that runs for the next four weeks. Um, so it's on the Parliament's website. You can only sign it there. We've promoted this kind of petition before last year when actually was a petition calling for an inquiry into bank branch closures, and that one worked because we've got the inquiry. This one is about the forced posture agreement, which is the agreement that we signed with the Americans in 2014 where we've basically given them carte blanche to turn Australia into as many bases as they want, right? And those bases they're using to as, as, a, as a launching pad for their plans for war on China our number one trading partner. We've handed over, this, this agreement more than anything else hands over our sovereignty. So th there's a petition to scrap the thing, scrap the whole forced posture agreement and the details are in there. And of course, there's lots of stuff on our website about this forced posture agreement. This petition is, was, has been launched by, the, by IPAN, the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. So we're helping to promote it. So please click on the link, go to the Parliament's website and sign this particular petition. Encourage everyone for the next four weeks to do it. We'll have some more stuff in the show that hopefully persuade, you know, reiterates the need to, mm -hmm. you know, not treat, not not act in this kind of way because you don't. Why would we want to go to war at all, let alone war against our number one trading partner? Mm. Okay, good. So with that, onto our first topic: the economic bonanza Australia is denying itself. Um, so we want to give you a bit of a sweep of um, the kind of incredible economic. Um, boom that's going on, not just in China. People know there's been an economic boom going on in China for a while, despite you know hiccups in the recent period for obvious reasons. But the still the growth is still there because the impetus for that boom has been the real economy, not some speculative bubble like yeah. you know we have that um, brings everything down with it when it goes, um, as we saw in 2008. Uh, and particularly since that time, since the GFC, China started to share its approach to economic development with the rest of the world. And so, as we've seen through the process of um, the BRICS expansion, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, which we've talked about in recent shows, this is spreading like wildfire. So we're going to give you some details, but what I wanted to make as a point from the outset is that China's approach with this was an approach that would overcome the myriad of differences between different civilizations, different cultures, different yeah. language groups. Um, and basically, just like any technology could be used for good or bad, like nuclear, you know, you can have a nuclear bomb, you can have nuclear power that uplifts whole, whole cult countries. Um, just about any issue or debate can be used in the same way and can be twisted into something that becomes extremely divisive and very damaging and can cause countries to collapse into, um, you know, ba basically civil war, um, ultimately. Yeah. Um, but any issue can also be viewed from a different perspective, which is what China has shown, that if you 
draw out the common needs, the common elements that are found in all human beings from whatever country or part of the world they're from. Um, you find the unifying elements and you can get people to work together despite those differences and that's what the Australian Citizens Party always tries to do. And we've yeah. seen some recent examples of that, um, the voice being one, um, which we addressed, uh, you wrote about in the alert service this week, Robbie. Yeah, so the, the voice referendum has failed, you know, quite badly, right? 60% no, uh, only less than 40% yes. And, you know, if so what we would encourage people to do is at a time like this, actually, you know, consider that there's 40% of people who thought this was their hope. Right? And, of course, you know, they're going to be um, fairly upset um, about that outcome. The people who voted no, you know, almost none of them voted no because they hate Australian Aboriginals. They voted no because they weren't persuaded that it was, you know, the great hope, right? Um, and, but, you know, it's not like Aboriginal Australians don't have actual grievances. And one of the things that we point out is that we're having a debate about changing the Constitution. Mm. And... You know, most Aboriginals know that the constitution we're talking about changing didn't even acknowledge their existence. Essentially, they weren't citizens of Australia when it was when it was agreed upon in 1901, right? And the legacy that we're dealing with here is actually it's partly a legacy of Australia, but it's more a legacy of the British Empire. Australia is a product of the British Empire. The 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 abuse. Yes, yes, the British Empire brought Western technology to Australia. I mean, Jacinta Price talked about that and she spoke about it in a way she got criticised for it. But nevertheless, you know, very few Aboriginals today would want to live as the old natives did, right? So they, they appreciate the, the, the Western technology. But it also brought a legacy of racism, right, and, and, and absolute mistreatment. And it's true and it's there. And what we're left with today is this quite serious disadvantage in terms of outcome. People... You know, some people look at the money that's spent and think, well, how can you call it disadvantage? That looks like an advantage, mm. but there's definitely a disadvantage in terms of outcome, and that's that's an economic question, right? Mm. So the thing is, though, we as Australians are also dealing in a country which, which is dealing with the legacy of the British Empire. And in fact, we argue our whole constitution is still that because it's not the constitution of a sovereign country. None of us... We're all disenfranchised, mm. actually, under it. We're not... When it, was, when it was drafted we were never, and, and agreed upon, we were never s citizens there. We were all subjects. We were mm. subjects of the British Empire. To this day, I mean, I just want to think about this. There's a, section 59 in the Constitution says the Queen or the monarch mm. can overrule any law passed by the Australian Parliament for any reason within 12 months. It's just there. It's not a, we are not a sovereign country. To this day. So... so so what if we took a different approach and realised, OK, we all need to fight for sovereignty in this country. Our lack of sovereignty plays out in all kinds of ways, including in our foreign policy, we'll talk about, and in our economic policy. Mm. But we let's, let's actually fight for real sovereignty. We, that would actually mean a new constitution. That means actually becoming a republic. That means with, a, with an Australian head of state chosen by Australians, not the fake republic of 20 years ago. Mm. One, what, it's only when the head of state is, is represent, represents the people is can the people be sovereign. So, and then everybody can have input into that, including all Australians, migrant Australians, Aboriginal Australians, etc. And everybody can be enfranchised instead of disenfranchised. And then it has to have a question of economic development, you yeah, know, because yeah. that is what, the, look at the kind of projects, Lisa, we talk about, like Iron Boomerang. 
the ring rail around Australia, etc. Those projects go through these areas of greatest disadvantage and they provide they can provide the platform that up, uplifts everybody, mm-hmm. right? That's how you can approach yeah. that. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was going to say. That approach requires leadership yep. that takes a different tactic, that, that looks at it top down and says, okay, what how can we bring people together? Because there's a great need we need to address and it's in everyone's interests. And the example I wanted to raise just briefly, we don't have time to go into detail, but um, the Middle East situation, Israel, Palestine. In 1993, we were at the point, and we've addressed this in uh, Australian Alert Service, which you can contact us to get a copy of if you haven't before, um, where you had the famous handshake, we'll put it up on the screen, between Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, Palestinian Liberation Organisation Chairman Yasser Arafat, uh, with US President Bill Clinton. But that was based on the common need yep. for things like water and other forms of development under the Oasis Plan. Well, they called it in the, in the, they called it the Oslo Accords, which was the base of that piece. And um, those Oslo Accords actually had as a big component a whole economic development perspective to benefit Israel and the Palestinians, right, on those very, very important infrastructure questions. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and that's the closest... And it's, it's mm. no coincidence that we think that's the closest that that area has ever come to peace. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was destroyed because, you know, extremist Israeli settler um, assassinated Yitzhak Rabin, mm-hmm. right? And it, went, it absolutely went downhill from there. Um, but the world has changed a lot, Elisa. And I think, given what we're about to talk about, yeah. there's a greater... If, well, if, if that was a perspective now, mm-hmm. it could actually work. Well, that's right, because in recent shows and programs we've talked about um, what BRICS has unleashed, the BRICS group and of course their expansion at their recent August summit in Johannesburg in South Africa. Um, This now represents a growing majority of the world. So they uh, accepted six new members but there's I think 40 odd other countries that are clamouring to join and beyond that countries that want to work in partnership and so forth. So um, what we discussed yeah, for peace for Israel and Palestine, is now, if we can get to that point <laughs> again, it might seem far off, but it's actually not. And if we can get to that point, uh, it's happening in a different context. And in a context where China's had, and Russia have had, a lot of work to do in the Middle East to begin to get countries working together, which we'll talk about. But I want to start off by mentioning that, um, getting into the Belt and Road topic proper, that there's a conference going on right now, which most people have not, that we've talked about um, in public life and so forth, have not even heard about, and that's the Third Belt and Road Forum. And I want to start by uh, showing uh, to the viewers the website of the First Belt and Road Forum. That's It's t- happening in Beijing over the last two days, and there are leaders there from all over the world, uh, from some... 140 nations, so that includes like heads of state or equivalent, um, also um, representatives of many, many, like 30 international organisations, business leaders, academics and representatives of non-governmental organisations. And uh, if we scroll down on their website, we can see the image uh, that they have of a map here, which mm. is revolving and Uh, Popping up there are the images or the labels of the various Belt and Road projects, of which there are many. And we also want to contrast that 
um, once we've done a, a full revolution to this, someone suggested in our morning meeting to show uh, the contrast with America's, the US base, military bases yeah. around the world. And you found uh, exactly the right so, map. So this is a revolving world globe map which shows the US <coughs> military bases. And it's just two completely ways of, two completely different ways of looking at the world, right? Those military bases serve Anglo-American hegemony, which is the, the American doctrine that we must be the unipolar um, superpower. There can yeah. be the, the sole superpower in the world. And, and we will enforce that through military means. But what they're actually enforcing is the looting systems of Wall Street and London banking systems, right, which is, which is the legacy of colonialism, which is the new empire, whereas what the Chinese are doing is making investments in everyone's, everyone's flocking to the Belt and Road Conference, Elisa, because when China isn't making these investments and helping make these investments, it's in real things that people mm. who live in these areas. You know, in Melbourne here, um, I've tried to explain this to people who live outside of Victoria, but... Um, who think that who thought Dan Andrews was the devil? But there was there was always one thing Dan Andrews did that nobody nobody criticised him for. Everybody applauded him for, which was he promised to get rid of the level crossings mm. of the train lines, and he did. And every time anyone who lived in one of these level crossings that that was replaced, and so the traffic could flow freely, knew what a huge difference it made. Right? That's what infrastructure does. Well, around the world, the equivalent thing is happening. Infrastructure is being built and those people where that's being built and it's not, you know, we'll do a whole series section if you want on debt trap diplomacy. It's absolute rubbish. And one of the mm. proofs it's rubbish is the countries keep going back to China, yeah, yeah. right? Um, it's, 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 its loans are cheaper than any other country. They're cheaper mm. than the World Bank. It forgives more debt than all the other countries in the world combined, etc., etc. Um, but it makes an enormous difference in the lives of those countries. Mm. This is real infrastructure. And that's... You know, when you have that approach, <clears throat> the world can change. Yeah, and it now is changing. You can read more about it again in the alert service. We've summarised it, but the Chinese government issued a white paper on the Belt and Road Initiative because it is the tenth anniversary of that being initially put forward in 2013, September October, yep. at a couple of different events. Um, so they've summarised um, ten years of progress in that document, and. Uh, and some, I mean, there was little coverage about it in the international media, but um, there was the coverage that did come out of AFP, Reuters, etc., focused on, I mean, a figure that really freaked them out, and that is that the construction contracts that China has accumulated with partner countries has reached or surpassed US $2 trillion. Yep. And there was various other figures as subsets of that um, activity. And they were saying, oh, you know, it's probably even more because they focused, as you said, on the debt trap diplomacy. But if you read the actual report and look at the figures and you can see, you know, for instance, I'll put up this graphic showing the China-Europe Railway Express, which now reaches more than 200 cities in 25 European countries, crossing via 86 different routes with logistics distribution spanning the entire Eurasian continent. Uh, and th these routes, these rail routes, have moved materials and goods worth more than US $300 billion in over 74,000 trips since the BRI commenced up until June this year. And it's not just um, the railway line. You have dry ports yep. in central... Um, Western Chinese cities, uh, and you have other, um, you know, conduits branching off with highways and 
fast highways and other new cities popping up and so forth throughout these regions. You have the Silk Road Maritime Network as well, so the ocean-going part of it, which now includes 117 ports in 43 countries with involvement of more than 300 Chinese and international shipping companies, port enterprises and other organisations. That's just two aspects of it. And you can also see um, case studies which we've included in our Australian Alert Service, and of course there's too many to mention, you know, think back to that revolving map with all of the different projects, there's a ton of them, and things like the, the new Indonesian high-speed train, which Australia doesn't even have, very no. close to home. But the China-Laos Railway, Laos was a landlocked country, and now it's got access um, to China. Look at this, this bridge that um, goes across one of the rivers there. The Mombasa-Nairobi Railway in Kenya, um, skills development through Luban workshops, which is based on ancient Chinese crafts and training people up in local communities. So this has had a big impact at the local level. Again, like what, your rail, like your exactly, um, yeah, level, crossing. level crossings. But, what, but see, there are people who are listening to us right now, Elisa, who are entirely sceptical of that because they read something in Reuters or the New York Times or well, the Sydney Herald somehow. or something. That said, how oh, there's there's you know the local politicians aren't happy with this project or that project, and what you've got to understand is what the British and Americans specialise in is going. They're, they're, they interfere in every country in the world, and there's always there's always people that they can um, pick off to become their spokesman, mm. right? And when 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 their media goes in, they're the ones that they talk to. They're the ones that get to comment on these things, mm. and it's all rubbish. The the, the 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 reality is those countries keep attending these forums like China's holding mm. because it is actually working for them and it's working in a spectacular way. And to go to the headline of this segment, we're not there. Mm. We have the... Now, and it's particularly bizarre because this is our number one trading partner. There's so much Australian iron ore in these projects, it's not funny. But you know how much in, in the economic supply chain, um, which percentage of the value the raw material supplier gets... We get a lot of money from it. Don't mm. get me wrong. Mm. We get a huge amount of money. But that just reflects how much value is in that supply chain. The raw material supplier gets a, gets a tiny, yeah. tiny, tiniest portion, right? We're denying ourselves the wealth of this because we don't want to participate. Because Uncle Sam told us not to, and we said, yes, Uncle Sam, yes, 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 Uncle Sam. And please, uh, Julian, uh, go, oh, no, no, sorry, I've, sorry, I've got the right. Sorry, I, no, no, forget that. Forget I said that. Forget I said that, Uncle Sam. Yes, we'll just do what you say on this, you know, Uncle Sam. Um, you know, Mother England, yes, we'll do what you say on this, Mother England, right? That's how pathetic, extremely pathetic we are um, in, in, in our lack of orientation to this. And we know it's, we're that pathetic because in June 2019, the Prime Minister of Australia said, we welcome the Belt and Road because of the positive impact it's going to have in the region. And that Australian Prime Minister is a piece of crap named Paul Scott Morrison, who we're about to go on, go through yeah. what he's actually doing now, being paid off to do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. But when it was just when it was all new, we couldn't help but embrace this thing. It was, it was like everyone good. was. It was a good thing. And now you've had a deem- you've had so much brainwashing yeah. through the Murdoch and the, the nine media. Everyone has has learned to hate and fear this thing that 140 countries around the world saying we can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Right? We are de- our, our prejudice and our our lack of sovereignty is denying ourselves yeah. an incredible bonanza. And in contrast to the debt trap diplomacy, look at it from another standpoint. Look at the flip side because this white paper has you know a bunch of 
initiatives and lays out the changes in financing mechanisms that have been established. Because mm. what did the World Bank and IMF do for decades and decades and decades? I mean, look at Argentina. They're still doing it now. They're screwing countries into the ground to get debt payments out of them. And there's nothing in return. In fact, they restrict them from spending money on hospitals and schools yep. and all the essential things. But what China goes through, this is the setup of things like the Silk Road Fund that pumped $22 billion into 75 projects in the last 10 years, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which we also initially signed up to with enthusiasm, which now has 106 members and approved 227 projects for $43.6 billion worth. Um, you have Chinese currency bonds, panda bonds that are being invested into infrastructure. There are now 46 Belt and Road themed bonds. And China has um, developed other multilateral finance mechanisms and bilateral currency swap uh, arrangements with other countries and trading arrangements. It's, this is in the same context as what you've been hearing about of de-dollarisation, where yep. since the, the Russian special military operation and they got cut off, as other countries have been, from the use of the US dollar and sanctions and so forth, countries are saying, hey, let's trade in our own currencies. Let's come up with other arrangements. So you have an alternative to the established system that's been rolled out by China in this and, way. And you know who does, who else trades with China in its own currency? BHP, Rio Tinto, Fortescue, in, in, in Western Australia. And you know why they do? Because they can sell their iron ore, not, not all of it's in, in Renminbi, but they, could, they sell a huge amount of iron ore in Renminbi and they get the Renminbi in Australia. But what do they do with it? Well, they use it to buy the things they need to keep their industrial systems going in Australia that produce the iron ore because that stuff's made in China as well, mm-hmm. right? China is the manufacturer of the world. And so even our big companies, and these BHP and Rio Tinto, they are crown jewels of the, of the British Empire. Mm. But they've had to do it, right, because that's where all the wealth is, all the economic manufacturing capability is. And, and yeah. so if, that's, if, if even they're doing it, the writing's on the wall, people. Now, I want to talk about Russia just a bit before we get into the Scott Morrison topic because um, there was an interesting discussion that was raised at the uh, Valde Discussion Club on the 2nd to the 5th of October held at Sochi in Russia Um, because the Economic Development Minister, Reshetnikov from Russia, raised the fact that maybe we should be looking at financial arrangements and copying the approach of China, following the Chinese model, protecting our currency, you know, having a regulated system because Russia's had a real attachment to neoliberalism and particularly in the central bank and the central bank reacted very um, harshly to that proposal. Well, I think the accurate way to put it is (coughs) Russia was taken over by neoliberals in the 90s who Mm. gutted the joint. That's right. And Putin took power and was able to put a stop to the worst of the actual policies that, that gutted the joint. But... The neoliberal thinking had, had really taken hold and it's still there yeah, in the, Russia. The There's economists a big and the thinkers that embodied that are still all there. So it's been a big fight. You know, Russia has not done what China has done on the financial front and that has limited them in fo- the fight back against they've done know, some the pretty US good, dollar they've, system. They've done some impressive yeah. things, but not, a, not they could but, match China, but they haven't. But I want to mention a few things that Putin has been saying on the economic development front because this shows the impetus to go with that financial approach as China's done because it's the only way to do it. Um, So going back to the um, St. Petersburg 
uh, forum, the Russia-Africa forum that happened in July, um, and I want to mention this because of the Middle East situation, because Putin um, described how um, the uh, International North-South Transport Corridor, which is a trade route, it, it comprises three different corridors crossing... Um, uh, connecting Western Russia to ports of the Persian Gulf and the Indian Ocean via Iran, Afghanistan, Turkey and the Caucasus and it provides for Russia new shipping routes to Africa and increasing trade and cooperation with Africa. Um, and on the 27th of August, a Russian cargo train carrying 36 containers travelled along that trade route, crossing by rail through Iran, then travelling by sea to Saudi Arabia. So you've got this conduit uh, to Saudi Arabia through Iran, who are now who were intractable enemies for a long time, mm. but are now both in the BRICS, right? Yeah. And of course, China brokered that arrangement, but now Russia's co- consolidating it through this crucial transport of goods that are needed, and it's the quickest way to get them there. And you've, then you can add to that the fact that Iran and Iraq will soon be linked by rail for the first time in history, linking the port city of Basra in southern Iraq to Iran's vast railway network. And before you go on, Lisa, just think of what you said. For the first time in history, the British were mucking around in that part of the world for a century and a half. Mm. This is what they... they go, look at, go look at maps of these colonial possessions like Africa and the Middle East that, when the British left them behind, if they left them behind. There was no transport corridors. There was, there was railways from mines to ports, and that was it. Right, this was a looting empire, and for the fact that it's 2023, and they're only just getting around to doing this now, mm. right, shows you the, how long this legacy of, of you know British colonialism has yeah. hung on. But it also shows you that the, there's a new power in the world, and That's it's determined to change it. Exactly, the geometry has shifted. Now, I now want to mention a few things that Putin ran through in a stunning speech at the. 8th Eastern Economic Forum on the 12th of September in Vladivostok because he mapped out a whole series in great detail. Um, It took a a lot of work to praise it down to a few points um, about the development of of Russia's Far East because you're talking vast areas, perhaps one of the only regions of the world comparable is the vast stretches across the expanse of Australia. Australia, And so think about Australia when I'm going through some of this. So He elaborated on the development of energy and resources, including um, construction of one of the world's largest gas processing plants, a gas chemical complex, a new fertiliser plant, um, agribusiness from greenhouse farms to fish processing, pork production, increased soybean production, various initiatives to expand all of that activity, a new gas pipeline, the integration of eastern gas pipelines with the western gas distribution networks because they're disconnected, New LNG projects, a floating plant to liquefy natural gas, which is unique in the entire world, a new production centre for the Murmansk region. He then went through transport projects, such as the Zvezda shipbuilding complex for large capacity vessels, development of the Northern Sea and Northern Sea route, I should say, and construction of a modern icebreaker fleet to use that Northern Passage, Uh, the upgrading of Arctic ports that's required and their infrastructure. The modernisation of railway lines, including the Bakal Amur mainline rail and the Trans-Siberian railway line, building the new pr- proposed Pacific railway line, two new ports on the Sea of Okhotsk, 
securing direct access to Asia-Pacific markets. One of those is ongoing and another is new. And modernisation of connecting railways to those ports. Expansion of uh, air routes with creation of a state-subsidised Far Eastern airline. Newly opened motorways, high-speed roads, integrated transport corridors from St. Petersburg to Vladivostok. Now, another initiative. (laughs) Yeah, Um, (laughs) another initiative which is really interesting is the Far East program, uh, where people can—they're encouraged to move to the Far East. Just for setting up a business, you will receive a plot of land, or for opening some kind of production or tourist facility. There's initiatives for housing construction, and there's special mortgage programs with low, like two percent interest rates on mortgages if you move to this area. Incentives for private developers to build housing and social infrastructure, you know, whether it's a kindergarten or a you know, health facility. Yeah. Um, farming and manufacturing initiatives and concessions relating to cultural sporting programs. And as a result of this, the Far East has grown at three times the rate of average Russian growth. Right? India and China are committed to participating in the development of the Far East, among other countries. There's all kinds of other fascinating initiatives if you mesh that in, what the Eurasian Economic Union, for instance, is doing with the Belt and Road, the Shanghai Cooperation Organisation. We could talk about this all day. It's absolutely stunning. But think about what Australia is missing out on. Well, one of the, one of the other parties that supports the Postal Bank, Lisa, is the CADA Party, CADA's Australian Party. Um, and one of the reasons, if you read Robbie Catter, the state MP's submission to the branch closure inquiry, he makes the point that in the remote areas of Queensland, how the, the economic approach from the government and the banks mm. is the direct opposite of that. Instead of subsidising loans, for, cause instead of encourage, doing the things to encourage people to move there by making sure you provide services, you make sure you have things like health, for instance. You've got to have doctors and, and nurses and whatever out there, those sort of things. And then you want to have housing. So they don't do that. They do the opposite. In fact, the banks, to, to qualify for a mortgage out in some of these remote places, you've got to put up like a 45% deposit for a mortgage. And then you're paying a higher interest rate uh, than the rest of Australia, this sort of thing, yeah, right? We don't have this kind of vision, and that's why they're withering and dying on the vine. And what we're trying to do with our campaign you start to change the thinking of that because once you change the thinking, then you can get in there and, and transform it. Because this is, if you really want to develop Australia, yeah. this is what you do. Yeah. And dare I say it, the majority of the, there's a greater Aboriginal population in those remote areas than anywhere else as a proportion, right? They'll benefit from it too. But at the moment, you know, the banks are getting away with taking away their banking services. Mm, mm-hmm. That's a huge contrast. Now, let's move on to talk about Mini-Me Morrison and his Dr Evil because this is the operation that is sabotaging that kind of approach because mm-hmm. in 2016, 2017, you know, we would have been on a track to working we in were. with this yep. global approach that's now presented by the BRICS, but it was sabotaged. Now, uh, Scott Morrison has just been in Taiwan and he met the Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen on Taiwan's National Day on the 10th of October and he then addressed the Yushan Forum. His speech was titled, One China 2.0. The, hu- <laughs> the hubris of that title. He actually called for Australia to update its One China policy. Yeah. But as 
the former ambas deputy ambassador to China mm. who helped draft the One China policy in, in 2000, and, uh, sorry, 1972, John Lander, who I've interviewed, who, who wrote, we've got it in the alert service, it's not our One China policy, it's China's One China policy. It is none of our business. We can't update we ag- it. <laughs> we agreed to respect it 50 yeah. years ago in order to have all this economic benefit from that of a relationship with China. And this guy is you know, coming around saying this. But the, 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 the real issue, Elisa, is he is not. Nothing coming out of his mouth is on behalf of Australia or Australia's national interest. And it's actually... He is, as we said last week, he's operating as a foreign agent. But what we've got in the alert this week is yeah. how much everything he says is an echo of what Mike Pompeo said first. And Mike yeah. Pompeo is a guy who tried to use his time in the Trump administration to start World War III. And, and he's, he's, he said he wants to become a presidential candidate. And he said if he becomes a presidential candidate, he would recognise Taiwan as an independent country. And that is pushing the button mm. for World War III. China has one red line, and that red line is anybody who, anything that that separates, that changes the one China status, right, and separates Taiwan from China. China's happy to be patient for these countries to integrate eventually peacefully, but if there's a push to, to encourage the Taiwanese to declare independence, that will be the red line. And don't take my word for it. Um, what I've just told you is essentially what came out of... Uh, you know, some of the smartest diplomats on earth are from Singapore. They and they 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 are the best at crossing the differences between West and East. Right? They know the Chinese better than anyone else, and from the Asian side, they know the West better than anybody else. And what I just said is from a conversation between um, Kishore Mahbubani and former Singapore—he's a Singaporean diplomat, former UN um, Security Council chairman—and former uh, Singapore Finance Minister George Yeo a couple of years ago. We published it. And they said, you, they warned the West, you're playing the Taiwan thing as if it's a card, mm. the Taiwan card. They said, it's not a card, it's bedrock. The whole basis, 51 years ago, of the Chinese agreeing to open up relationship with the West is everyone first had to agree to that, mm. right? And what's happened is we've gone in there, or the Americans have gone into Taiwan and encouraged this independence movement. It does not represent all of Taiwan, but the current president is one of those, Tsai Ing-wen. And even, though the, even they, though are a bit cautious, a bit more cautious on this. But they've got these politicians, they get these politicians to go in there, right, and stir the pot. And our former Prime Minister is determined to do that mm. really aggressively at the moment. And he's doing it um, in the context of Albanese going to yeah. Beijing. Yeah, because he said that's why he was going, to counterbalance the Prime Minister's trip. And, and we, we've seen a lot of this before, Elise. I went through some of the cases last week where... Just ahead of a major Australia-China event, mm. there's some kind of spoiler event, yep. and that's what that's what Morrison's trying to do. But also yesterday, the Five Eyes domestic agencies, including ASIO and the FBI, had a, had a, an event in California, and the big headline of that is, "Oh, China is stealing all the world's intellectual property." Well, sorry, China's left <laughs> us all behind on intellectual <laughs> property. Um, but it's, but and, and everything they said, from what I can tell, is just a rehash of all the things that have been proven to be lies in the media. Before. But mm. why they why they do it yesterday? Because that I'm convinced is all part of trying to sabotage this trip between Albanese and um, uh, to Beijing. Yeah, because can you imagine if Australia broke ranks? I mean, it was a, a bad enough that New Zealand threatened to break ranks with Five Eyes <laughs> and 
work with China. If Australia were to do that, that sends a major signal to the world. It sends a major signal to the United States. I mean, these are the things that Malcolm Fraser, Prime Minister, was questioning, breaking that uh, special alliance, breaking from Britain. It comes back to having true sovereignty, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. But I do encourage people to read. We'll put uh, the article that we've um, published on uh, Morrison's trip up on the website because... Uh, what we've done is we've described on a number of fronts um, from the revision of One China policy to the removal of restrictions on official visits to Taiwan to comparisons with Nazi Germany, the framing of the Taiwan threat, advocating the arming of Taiwan. What we've done is we've compared quotes uh, from Morrison, from Scott Morrison, as showing that they're echoes of exactly the same statement that, that Pompeo... He, he is mini-me. He is mini-me. So Pom- Pompeo's Dr says Evil. It. Pompeo's Dr Evil. He <laughs> says it. And this little twerp from the Shire just gets up there and babbles In an, a a, a, an absolute echo of this, right? It's really stark. Uh, it, it's, it's absolutely shocking. One of the things... Is, take the arming of Taiwan. Mm. Oh, we have to sell more arms to Taiwan. Morrison and, and Pompeo, both now on the advisory board of the Hudson Institute, which, like ASPE in Australia that we've been going after, the Hudson Institute is funded by America's biggest weapons companies. Mm. And so they're both going around saying, oh, we need to sell more arms to Taiwan. Of course you're saying that. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yep. And, but, but they're, you know, whatever grift they've got, Elisa, they're doing in a part of the world that's very, very dangerous because it has consequences. Mm-hmm. If we cross that red line... We will find ourselves in a war that a second later we'll all regret. Mm-hmm. Right? Listen to what we're saying on this. And Do not cheer this in. It's getting down to that why because um, it's it's evident that some of Pompeo's trips to Taiwan were funded by the current Taiwanese government. Well, that's that raises. So this is the thing. You you think okay, why? How could someone be this evil slash stupid? Right? And. Some very important information has come to light, and that is, yes, we're going to name two politicians. Mike Pompeo, in one of, in his trips to China, one, just on one occasion, he to was Taiwan. Pa- Taiwan, Taiwan, sorry, just on one occasion in the last year or so, he was paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars by the tiny Taiwanese government through this Prospect Foundation to come there and say what he said. One hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, that's that's pretty persuasive stuff. Well. Former British Prime Minister Liz Truss is also on this circuit. She's, she was paid £80,000 for a similar thing that she did, right? £80,000, which is you know, well over 100000 Australian dollars, well over, probably double that for, for in terms of Australian dollars. Um, and you think, oh, maybe it isn't a matter of principle then mm. what these guys are doing. They're literally political prostitutes selling, selling themselves here to, to cash in on this. Who cares if it causes World War III? But at least it's the same speaking circuit that Morrison's on. That's right. Right. Now, we're going to do more on this and provide yep. more details. But um, one of the reasons we know this is because in the British Parliament's register of interest, they have mm. to declare the dollar amounts of what they get, right? And in Australia's register of interest, we don't. So you can go to Morrison's entry in the register of interest at the moment, and he's declaring that, he, yes, he is getting paid. Like, there's all his these tri- trips that he's taken with his wife, business class airfares here, there and everywhere to do this kind of mm. stuff. Well, there's no dollar figure on that, though, but Liz Truss has to put dollar figures on hers. And one, one example was £18,000 for her and her husband to go to a same Pacific forum that Scott Morrison went to, 
and that was just that was her declaration of flights and accommodation for five days, eighteen thousand pounds. I mean, this is really this is a good lifestyle、mm. that they're getting out of this particular grift, right?、Um, and so the question is, how much is Morrison getting? All he has said in his register of interest is the actual events. Plus, he said that he signed up to the to whatever. There's some agency that's representing him on the speaker's circuit, right? But he's not declaring the amounts. But we know that his two best buddies, and we can show you the photos of him with them at these events, right? Like with him and Liz Truss and that. One has one in total. Liz Truss this year has earned something like two hundred and forty-eight thousand pounds. Earned. Forget that word. She's been、yeah. paid two hundred forty-eight thousand pounds on the same speaker circuit, and of course we know that one with that one figure with Mike Pompeo. And do we therefore have a politician in Parliament、mm. who is being as provocative as he can be on an issue which is of acute danger for the planet, provoking a war with China, with China over Taiwan?、Um, and you know, is he raking it in to do it? That's the question that we're asking. Yeah, that's the real foreign influence operation that's going on,、um, which risks Australia and, and the world's future. And all those、future. people, all those people, when Morrison said, "Oh, we demand, we demand an investigation of China over the origins of COVID,"、mm. right? Oh, our prime minister standing up for us. No, he was not. He was doing what he, he was doing the bidding of this warmongering maniac, Mike Pompeo. And you all clapped it in because everybody told you to clap it in. Oh, you know, oh, you've got to stand up for Australia's interests. No, this is this became a bridge too far for the Chinese, and they said, you know, I mean, no, no great power would accept the kind of conditions Morrison demanded that day.、Oh, we were trying to tell the people this in 2020. Remember, Elisa?、Mm. It was absolutely nuts. <laughs> But a year earlier, that same guy had said, "We welcome Belt and Road for the positive influence、mm. it's going to have, have in the、yeah. region." What happened? The he sold out and became a foreign agent. That's what happened, that's and that's、right. what we're dealing with,、um, and have the legacy of today. Whereas there's a different way of looking at the world, you know. And if、As、we're going to if we're going to develop Australia, if we're going to raise the, the the living standards of Aborigines and and finally close the gap, and if we're going if there's any hope of bringing peace to the to the to the Middle East, get the Americans out of there and get you know you know China has a good relationship with both Israel and Palestine. Let them in there be the broker and actually back up a, an oasis plan. Yeah,、um, that's what real development.、Yep. The American economist Lyndon LaRouche proposed, you know, which was influential in the Oslo Accords, which is in the which is in our alert in service alert here. Service,、yep. You know, let let actually someone an honest broker get in there and help make that happen and start transforming that part of the world as well. Right?、Mm. They brought peace between Saudis and Iran. Let's let them get in there and do it for once. You know, and and stop. From here in Australia, stop being so defined by the, your lying media that's got you hating and fearing the most positive thing that's happening in the world.、Mm. Seriously, that's right.、Um, China's actually taken upon itself the kind of leadership that Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, the U.S. president, did after World War II, because there was a point to change the world. He insisted on an end of British imperial colonial methods. Unfortunately. It didn't happen after his death, but we have the chance to do it again. We have new leadership putting that forward as the real solution, and Australia has to get on board with it. Yep. So contact us for more information. There's more on all those topics in this week's alert service. You can find out how to subscribe below with links below. That's the show for this week. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in, and see you again next week.
authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.